We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Courtney, welcome back from your various adventures. Hi, it's good to be back. Yeah. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. I believe you've had a, a, a rare time since we last uh, recorded the podcast episode. That's true. I uh, I officially had two-week holiday. Um, I don't remember the last time I had two weeks completely off. Uh, mm. And to be honest, it ended up not being completely off, but that's okay. Um, but, yes, I, I am back. I am ready to start recording again. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've got quite a bit lined up in uh, the coming weeks. So. Oh, we do, don't we? There's so uh, many. <laughs> yeah, a busy pre-Christmas schedule. Yep. Yeah. Um, we actually revisited uh, a previous episode last week, um, the episode that I recorded with Stuart Kinner, mm. uh, mm-hmm. who's a prison health expert, and that was strategic um, because of the conversation that we've got with today's guest, Shane, uh, who, as you'll hear in the, the conversation, um, has ex- extensive experience with being in prison and leaving prison and going back again. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting chat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yes, you'll hear all about Shane's story in this this coming episode that you're about to listen to, um, and that was very strategic of you to put that uh, rebroadcast up because it does uh, lead nicely, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, a lot of the stuff we talked about in that previous episode, you, you can hear from the horse's mouth. You know yep. what people go through and what it's like, and um, yeah, we'll reflect a little bit more after our conversation with Shane on, on some of the stuff that he has to say. Yep, so enjoy listening to this conversation. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome Shane to the podcast. Welcome, Shane. Thanks. Um, now, <clears throat> you've got a pretty uh, interesting story to tell, Shane. Um, do you want to give us a bit of background um, about your, your your history, like you growing up in education and, and you know, where you're at today and what you're doing All at right. the moment? Uh, I was born in Gatanning, WA. Um, left there after I got third-degree burns to my body uh, at the age of six months old. Went to Kalgoorlie when I was about a year and a half old. Uh, Stayed in Kalgoorlie to 1999. In and out of the mines. Uh, I started working in the mines at 15 uh, and stayed in the mines till I left Kalgoorlie in 99. Uh, Started early using drugs. Uh, At the age of 15, I was smoking cannabis. and then started experimenting in other drugs like um, hash trips, uh, the old day speed, which is now more likely meth nowadays. Yeah, anything that came along, I tried. I just, I never got into heroin and I never got into morphine or anything like that. It was always something to take me up, not down. I had a good life. Uh, child life was pretty good. Old man was pretty strict because my old man was a ex shearer, tent boxer. So he was a fairly strict old man and uh, he was used to love his drink. So he used to come home a fair bit and take it out on the three kids, but I'd get in the way and let him take it out on me instead because I was the biggest. 
But yeah, no, a good childlike, everything I ever wanted in childlike. They played 14 sports, they brought everything I ever wanted for sport. They had a pretty good upbringing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was in 99 I moved to Bunbury uh, with my son because uh, my missus had an affair, so I left with my son. Uh, I was in an open work injury then as well because I'd done my ankle in the mines. So I was um, went through major depression. It was eight years I didn't work for, I had an open work injury. Uh, after the eight years was up, I got a payout, which led me to experiment heavily into methamphetamines. Uh, I had plenty of money and it was cheap back then too. But my addiction got that heavy I had to start dealing so I could afford it even more. Then uh, 2006, I think it was, um, I sent my son away because he was seeing people put guns to my head. I was getting trying to get robbed all the time because people knew I had money, I had drugs. It was just part of the game. Uh, I was staying in hotels every day so people wouldn't know where I was so they couldn't rip, rip me off or rob me. After sending my son away, things escalated even more. He was kind of a barrier for me to not to use heavily, but once he was gone, there was no barrier in place at all. I was heavily into addiction then. I was up to about 28 to 30 grand a week on pills, trips, mess. You name it, I was into it and selling it as well. Um, and then at the end of 2006, I got caught by the police. Um Caught with a lot because I got done for trafficking methamphetamines. Caught uh, trafficking marijuana and trafficking LSD. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. I went straight to jail. Uh, got th- uh, three years, eight months. Did two and a half. Got out on parole. Completed me parole because uh, all the stipulations. Got a urinalysis. You got your courses. So I did all that, uh, got out in 2009. Um, that's when the trouble started, uh, trying to find work. It was impossible with that kind of um, history, <laughs> you say. I went for 78 jobs and the 78th job I, I applied for I finally got, was which was Carlton Contracting up in Port Kennedy. Stayed with them for a few years, ended up doing fly-in, fly-out work, up through the north with them, uh, and then I bumped into a, an old associate, I'd say, ex, yeah, ex-drug user, mm-hmm. ex, ex-supplier, mm-hmm. uh, and I still had a little tiny debt with them because I'd been avoiding them, would you say, because I didn't want to go back to drugs. Uh, they caught up with me, uh, started selling again. I don't know why. This was in two thousand and. 11, so I started selling again just to make up some money. Uh, got caught again in 2012, did um, 18 months straight, got out, only lasted three months out, got done again because I just went straight back to dealing because it was impossible to try and get work now with two lots of criminal history behind me. Uh Got out in 2013, yeah, 2012, 2013, 14. 
as I said, I got arrested straight away, basically three months later. I was back in jail again in 2014, and I got done for four years, had to do two years, and then two years on parole, which I completed again or got my parole. Um, and I stayed clean up for five and a half years. I eventually got a job for work for the doll. I was a project coordinator doing uh, looking after the doll workers, making them build stuff out of wooden pellets for mad contracting. Uh, then the COVID hit. Oh, no, I was saying on. In between then, <laughs> I did an adult learning course. I did my Cert 3 in community services and my Cert 4 in community services. So they all finished about 2018. Uh, and then it was 2019, I got the job as the project coordinator. And then I lost the job in 2020 because of the COVID. Uh, the government gave us extra money for the covert, so I was getting a thousand and something a fortnight. Uh, they also let me take 10 grand out of me super, uh, which they didn't tax. So I had all this money and bored and nothing to do, so back into the drugs. Uh, I was living at Access Housing in that period from 2015 to 2020. Um, I got kicked out of there because I got caught with drugs. Um, and instead of going straight back to jail this time, uh, I've only got caught with um, the, the least amount I've ever been caught with uh, was uh, 3.5 grams. But uh, instead of doing jail, I decided I wanted to go back to, to Doors Wide Open where I'm working now. I've also volunteered there from the start when I opened it in 2015. I've been a, a volunteer and a client on and off with Doors for the last six years. Now I'm working there. Uh, but where was I? Oh, yeah, I got caught with a 3.5. Instead of going to jail, I went and seen uh, doors wide open. Said I needed to do rehab. I wanted to do something different. I went to Nanup to do rehab. It's an eight-month course. I didn't last eight months. Um, it's a very hard place to be. Um, some of the rules and regulations there are, are pretty strict. Like, you can't call someone mate. You're not allowed to touch. You're not allowed to push someone's chair back in. You get supported for it. Uh, which is um, an awareness, and then they, after a week, you get all your awarenesses and, and celebrations there. Was, one's called a, a Quidditch, one's called a Yanger. A Quidditch is an awareness and a Yanger is a celebration. That means good things. So all the Quidditches you get, they evaluate and see which ones, and if there's any pattern to it, then they make you write um, like an essay on why that's – I got done for – Women were scared of my tone of voice because I'm a big bloke, like I'm six foot six and 190 kilos. So I had to write down, I had to write an essay on why I speak like I do and why I swear and why I use mate because I've got millions of support, so start calling people mate. So, yeah, that was hard. It's only lasted 55 days, but I got the tools I need. I even got a tattoo out of what I, uh, while I was there, I made up a tattoo and it's called Citra. And it stands for uh, stop, inhale, think, reflect, action. Mm. So any now, any decisions I make in the future, like even today and yesterday, I always look at my wrist and go, right, last time you did this, I got you in jail or off the streets or I lost my family. Or So it just makes me reevaluate any decision I make and I only do it day by day now where I was before, I was trying to plan too far ahead. Mm. So everything's day by day now for me because I'm still in, Still in a dig. I'm not out of it. I'm 15 months clean, 
but I still class myself as an addict. Uh, every day I wake up, it's a fight because it wants me to use my brain. And it wants me either dead in the gutter or back in prison. It's, it's, it's a nasty thing, meth. Um, but thanks to rehab and thanks to Doors Wide Open, uh, I did NA for a while as well, but now I'm working at Doors. I've stopped on NA because I'm, I'm pushing recovery on other people, so I don't need to don't get it pushed on me anymore. I think I'm at, I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life at the moment. Money in the bank. Not using, yeah, um, looking to buy a unit next year, hopefully, and doing a job. I go to work with a smile on my face and come home with a smile on my face. Yeah, mm. that's I, wonderful. I appreciate you sharing all that with us, Shane. It's um, quite a story, uh, and I'm sure that a lot of those experiences have obviously you've just summed that up in a few minutes. But yeah, there's uh, a lot go. of things I probably couldn't say over the radio either. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that, have happened, uh, that have happened to me. So we, a lot of I, my, my research is um, looking at people who, who can't go in and out of the prison system and, and the health implications yeah. of that and what happens on the way in and on the way out and, and why a lot of people like yourself end up going back several times before they are able to address their underlying health problems. And obviously yeah. mental health and, and drug and alcohol use are, are two big things that, you know, people in prison have to deal with. You just want to give us specifically a, a bit of background on your experience going in and out of the system and your, the health challenges that you might have faced in any of those areas and oh, things that might have helped out, you know? There's definitely a health challenge because the prisons like, oh, the prisons feed you a lot of carbohydrates. So no matter what, you put on weight in jail. And it's hard not to put on weight because it's all carbohydrates. Uh, I kept going back to jail because it was easy. I had a good job. I had a single cell. Um, there was no worries, you know, you just get up and do your shit and go home, they lock you up again and wake you up in the morning. You could smoke, you get canteen, you get paid, not a lot of money, but you get paid to buy food from the canteen. So there was never any stress about jail never scared me until the very last time I went back in. The last time I went back in, because I did all the rehab and I did volunteer work, I only got a, a six-month sentence where they were looking at giving me two and a half years. And I did three months, got parole. But that three months was the worst three months I've ever had in my life. Jail was different. Like it's, it's overcrowded. It's nasty. There's people, yeah, just people doing stupid shit in there to, to get ahead. Um, double, double, double ups. There's no privacy. It's just, it's mayhem. And you just, yeah, it's not a nice place to be anymore. <laughs> Which is a good thing because now I don't. I'll never want to go back. It scared me this last time, and, and before it was always, eh, I'll be right. I'll get a best job. I'll get the, you know, every time I've gone in, they give me the same job. I was working in reception with the ladies. So yeah, um, yeah, I don't want to go back ever again. Not now. I've got this wicked job. What other jobs were available that maybe weren't so great? In the jail? Yeah. Uh, we worked in the laundry. Uh, there's uh, metal work. There's wood carpeting. Uh, that's in the main jail. you also got veggie prep, um, maintenance, where you go around and do all the door locks and stuff like that. All pretty mundane. It's always the same stuff over and over and every day, every day. Up in minimum, it's a bit harder. Um 
there's not a lot of jobs up a minimum, so there's a lot of people just sitting around doing nothing. Right. Which makes their brains tick to do weird shit, you know, like dares and people are out of smoke, so they do dares to get back into smokes. Mm. It's just some strange stuff going on on here at the moment. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Yeah, okay. Um, so in your experience, did, did you find that a lot of people in prison, um, you know, with you were kind of, you know, had real mental health and drug and alcohol or, or other health issues that um, were, were or weren't getting addressed on the inside? Oh, definitely. Yeah. People in prison that probably shouldn't have been in prison, they probably should have been at um, a mental health institution like Greylands or something, I don't know. But, yeah, a prison's an easy place to drop them off. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just convenience, I think, for the other people. They're behind the fence. They don't get to see them anymore. And there's, like, doing the drug courses is fair enough in jail, but a lot of people just do it to get parole. They don't do it to better themselves. Luckily, I've, I've done the sycamore tree course and, and the pathways, and I did it to improve myself, uh, and it did help. Like, I stayed clean for five and a half years the last time I was in there. Not the last time, the third time. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people just do it to get parole. It's a little bubble. It's, there's drugs in jail, but it's a bubble as well, like rehab is. Mm-hmm. You go to rehab, and it's, there's no drugs, so it's a bubble. You come out of rehab, and that's when you deal with it. I've known plenty of people come out of rehab and fail the first week. Like they've they've lapsed because of that bubble. Yeah. So life life is harder outside than it is inside. You need to, I think, as part of parole. If you get parole, you should be doing drug courses in the parole period, so you're dealing with day to day life. Mm-hmm. It's more more applicable to real life. It, it's yeah, not and I know, official. especially in the Bunbury Jail, there's people that have reoffended twelve, thirteen, fourteen times because that's a they get fed, they've got clothes, they've got a roof over their head. They don't want to deal with being homeless or reality. And like homelessness is, is shocking at the moment. And a lot of people go to jail because they've got, a, got food, they've got clothes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's things other than crime, for example, that might be leading some people to go back. It's just that their circumstances on the outside are so poor. Yeah. That, you know, like, yeah, so housing's one thing that does come up and it seems to be an increasing issue. Uh, what's your experience with, with housing and homelessness and that sort of thing? My, my experience, I've been very lucky because I've had a loving family. My mum and dad have stuck by me, so I've never actually been homeless. I've slept in my car a few times and I've had friends that I could sleep on their lounges. But to find a unit, it took me well, 60, 65 applications to finally get a unit. And luckily I kept paying that while I was in jail for the three months. I had friends that helped me out as well that paid did a payment, payment for me. Mm-hmm. Because uh, trying to find places to stay is impossible in Bunbury, especially Bunbury. Mm. Um, we have a lot of people that come to doors wanting accommodation, but we can't help with accommodation. We actually are a joint venture with Anglicare and Breakaway Housing First Initiative, mm-hmm. which is it's starting to get um, – well, I think they housed the first person the other week. They've just got to wait for more houses and that to be built or come available, mm-hmm. which is – Impossible. Like there's a building, a building. You've got to wait two years for a builder to build your own house now or something like I heard the other day. Yeah. So it's it's just it's horrendous. And they've kicked them out of where they were staying at the shell. So they're all over the place now. They sleep at the big swamp. They sleep wherever they can find shelter now. So it's harder to find them and yeah. help them. So we supply food and clothes 
we'll buy we got tents and swags stores we supply to people uh, we just try and help as much as we can so it's uh i guess uh these is the wrong words but in research or other things um your story because you've got a job and you're getting a unit and all that kind of thing it would be almost considered in quotation marks like a success story um how many other people that you know that have also been to jail or your associates as you called them have had that similar pathway in that they've actually been successful in getting a a better quality of life and getting a job and getting the other the other two peer support workers i work with uh at doors they're much success stories as well. They, um, yep. one was homeless, another one was living on the street. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's it's hard to hear the success stories because a lot of people keep themselves. Yeah. Uh, but they are out there. I know probably offhand about ten people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just it all depends on their will and their drive to stay clean. It's. It's a it's a it's a long road. I'm still battling, but mm. thank God I've got the support, my work, my family, and an actual me me sticker, me tattoo. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, important. The like the motivation that you get. At, yeah, I think there needs to be some internal motivation and drive to yeah. to get better and and get better from. Well, I love going to work, helping, like seeing people come in all down and out, and then walking away with a smile. Yeah, and saying thank you, you've helped me. It's uh, it's awesome. Mate. It makes you feel all gooey inside. <laughs> yeah. That's what you want. You want to feel gooey inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a, it's a wicked. I found my calling. I think because of my bad history, it's become a good history for me for my work. Yeah. But awesome. once I open up to clients, I usually tell them my story first because they're usually very hush hush. They want to open up, but as, as I tell them my story, they, they just blurt their story out. Mm. My theirs, mine's pretty bad compared to theirs usually. <laughs> mm. so, yeah. So. I guess your your title at Doors Wide Open is a peer support worker. Is that what you said before? Yeah, yeah, and and that seems to be. And I, I heard you say that you, you did a cert three and four in community services. Yeah, um, and I think that's actually quite a common thing now. People ask, you know, with lived experience, are starting to do that, you know, a bit more because they have the same motivation you do in that you yeah. you like to help people who've who are maybe in the middle of their struggles where you've maybe gone through them and come out the other side. Um, what what are some of the things you think that have have contributed to you, you know, having that success in in coming out the other side? Oh, definitely, my mum and dad. Yeah, the support they've like they out of all the time I've been in jail, like nearly seven years all up. They never missed a, a day to visit me. They cancelled holidays. They cancelled weddings. I'm a very 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 lucky person to have the mum and dad that I've got. And the support that I've got from the people at Doors, I am Jane and other people that I know. Like I met Jane doing a sycamore tree in jail. So that's when I first met Jane way back in, I think it was 2014, 15. Mm-hmm. And she's been an awesome support for me. But, yeah, I've just been really lucky to have certain special people behind me. Eh? Mm-hmm. Without that, it's, it's very hard. That's why I want to become that special person for someone else. Yeah. And I've even got finally got my uh, working with children's card. Oh, okay. That took, that took a few turns because they didn't want to give it to me because um, I got weapons charges, right. which are only pepper spray and a baton, but it says weapon and people just automatically think guns. Yeah. 
It's it's like violence restraining order. When people hear that, they think that yeah. someone's violent. Yes, it's, it's, it's I'm glad language. they gave me the chance and gave me the card. So now I've got the work with children. That's another a huge step forward for me. Yeah, so I was wrapped with that. And I guess because uh, in your in the story of um, yourself that you gave at the start, you started using drugs when you were fifteen. Yeah. So that would be um, kind of a, a group that you'd really need a target with with peer support. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't get a lot of young ones that come into doors, but uh, we get families like mum and dads that come in mm. and we talk to them and try and stop them enabling their kids using because they've got blinkers on usually, like my mum and dad did. Like my mum and dad never had a clue. But I did it in front of them nearly, you know. They should have known yeah. the way I was acting, the way my eyes were, my bank account, always wanting money. So we try and teach parents to spot that so they don't keep enabling them. Um, it's a it's a major thing. We want to empower people to make the, the right decisions day by day for themselves. We don't make the decisions for them. They can make it for themselves. Do, do you find um, that you're giving, when you're, I guess you're giving people advice in a way, um, like you were talking about the parents there, I mean, is there an element of tough love in that where you say, look, maybe you need to let oh, your yeah. kid, you know, mess up and then help them after they realise that they've messed up? Yeah, there's definitely some tough love got to be given here and there. Uh, yeah. That's probably the hardest thing for me. Um, all through my life, I've been a yes guy. You know, I try to, I try to always try to please people. That's why I got into addiction. I think in the first place, uh, being a yes man, caring for other people instead of myself. And now I've made it all about me. I'm starting to care for me, which is, which is another thing that's got me through this 15 months of staying clean, I suppose. And at the start of next year. I'm determined to start losing weight and look after my health. Um, I've made a massive uh, declaration that I'm going to do that next year to everyone. So, because I've got very poor self-esteem because what I was, I was a drug dealer. I never realised the ripple effect it had on being a dealer. Like I just thought, oh, yeah, I sold drugs, everyone was happy, never had a comeback. But I never realised it was ruining my family, my brother and sister, the community. Families that were getting their jewellery stolen that was coming to me and getting brought, you know, I was buying it off them. So, yeah, I've never realised that ripple effect until I did rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's major now. I just try and everyone that comes in and, and I can talk to, I, I talk about that ripple effect with everyone because a lot of people aren't aware of it. Mm. Yeah, okay. So just um, touching on doors a bit more, but what... Yep. Who are the sorts of people that you that you find that you're working with? You know, what sort of background do they have and how do they come yeah, into your service? That's massive. That's a huge uh, variation of people that come into the doors. That's the good thing about doors. We don't turn anyone away. We help anyone with advocacy. I, I take people to court. I go to people, to doctors to get mental health care checks. I'm dealing with prisoners now. They ring me up once a week um, so they keep in contact for support. They can help with a parole letter later on. But we've got homelessness, we've got just parents out of people with no food, no clothing. We help a lot of people on the street with clothes, tents, sleeping bags when we got them. But the main thing at the moment is, is food. We, we get a lot of food out. We get a lot of generous people that donate to doors all the time. And we also go to the food bank once a week and stock our own pantry up. But, yeah, it's, it's a, a massive variation of people that come into doors. Even just with people with anger issues, they come in uh, from petrol sniffing all the way through to using meth, heroin, alcoholism, yeah, everything. 
And is DOORS just for people who um, have experienced or are addicted to drugs or is it a broader group? No, no, it's broader than that. Like, yeah. We've also got another class in and learn stuff like the, that have got people with addiction and they don't know what they're talking about. So they can come in and learn. They've got little classes. We have classes that they can learn from. Um, yeah, hmm. it's, it's massive. <laughs> Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode. If you have a minute and enjoy the conversations we bring you, it'd be great if you could go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a quick rating and review. Not only do we love to get your feedback, but it also helps other people to find us. Thank you. And now back to the show. Um, and are there any particular stories that kind of stick out for you of people that you've you've helped or that have come in looking for help? And you, you Yeah, remember? I'm helping one guy at the moment who's who's been deep in addiction and He's sober seven weeks clean now, no lapses, no relapses, no nothing. Uh, he comes in twice a week when I work with him. He's also under ND, an NDIS, IDR thing. So he's also got carers that work with him as well every day of the week, but I just work with him Mondays and Fridays while he's at doors. And he's come a real long way. He's probably my best one, but there's other people that, that the other councils that I work with, been in addiction two, three years, and they've, they've gone six, seven, eight months now with not without lapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> James writing something. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, James just wrote water. I think that person likes me so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty down to earth. I joke. When he gets there, I give him a hug, make him feel like home and when people come to doors, when they leave, I say, well, you can come back because you're part of the doors family. Mm. We don't have appointments. People just rock up. We have um, we get second bites off coals every Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. So they're our main days that people rock up for food. We have a cooking class every Wednesday. We've got arts and crafts that are starting up. We've got bike repairs starting up. Uh, there's going to be mosaicing starting up. But we also get other people use our facility as well. They hire rooms. St. Jude or Jude's want to start using our craft room for their people that work in NDIS. Um, DCP use it as well for a meeting group for kids because it's a safe place. Mm. Uh, there's no judgment, no bullying, no nothing that happens at doors. Um, yeah, it's, it's a safe spot, mm. especially with me there every day looking after it. <laughs> no one's allowed to get away with anything there. <laughs> now you I'm, mentioned- like a, I'm like a bouncer. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> You mentioned before that, you know, some of your more recent struggles, sorry, my video's um, frozen there. Um, <laughs> some of your more recent struggles happened when COVID happened and there, obviously yeah. there was restrictions in people being able to move between Perth and Bunbury and, and other regions. Yeah. Um, did, did you find uh, working at Doors or volunteering at Doors, as you may have been then, um, that, you know, demand for services went up quite a bit during that time and, you know, just want to reflect on that a bit. Yeah, I came because the, the main part of COVID, I was in jail. Um, I got out. There was no border. There was no all the borders were open. Didn't have to wear masks. But from what I was told, yeah, the, the, the numbers went up quite dramatically while the COVID was on. Uh, especially by the prices of the methamphetamine went through the roof as well. Right. So there was a lot of people not using because they couldn't afford it. And a lot more stealing going on. Uh, people were getting clean and that was starting to freak them out. So they were coming into doors to get uh, information on withdrawals and that kind of stuff, how they could handle it. 
Because yeah. withdrawals can be quite scary as well. Yeah, I've been lucky. Is. I've never had it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Because the amount of drugs yeah. I was using, I, I should have got. I should have had drug psychosis as well. Right. But I've never had either of that. Um, yeah, I used to take ten trips at a time, ten pills at a time, smoke ounces every couple of days of pot, and then I'd be using up to seven grams of meth a day as well. So. Right. I was yeah, a big surprising. User. Yeah, surprising yeah. you didn't get withdrawals. But yeah. yeah, I guess through COVID as well, because of the the price hikes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there'd be less less people yeah. dealing because of the availability. Yeah, well, they, used, they were holding it that. back too to make the prices go up. Uh so it's almost like gas prices yeah. <laughs> for your car. Yeah. Oh dear. If people had it, they'd hold it and then wait for the nothing to be around and they could ask whatever they wanted for it. Right. And people would do anything to get it. So there was more crime as well. Yeah, okay. So then um, Doors would pro- provide more services about withdrawal and trying to kind of go through that landscape where maybe yeah. they can't afford it anymore. So without the without the methamphetamines around, most people turned to cannabis. Yeah. So the okay. cannabis went through the roof at the same time as well. Right. Yeah, yeah that's so interesting. What was it mm. like being in jail during COVID because was there any, like, scares or anything like that about COVID? Because I guess no, in other places. it was pretty places, safe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like when I was in rehab, I was through COVID as well. Like staff that have to come in, they have to wear masks. Right. None of us did. Like, even in jail, the, the guards had to wear masks, mm-hmm. but not the prisoners. So it was a fairly safe environment. You know, they wouldn't let anyone into the jail. you get your temperature checked when you first come off the truck in the reception. And if you were at risk, they'd, they'd isolate you. Yep. So jail was pretty pretty safe for COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned that you found that the prisons were getting a bit more crowded the, the yeah. last time you were there. And, and in the yeah, past. I've always had a single cell every okay. time I've been in jail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because of the job I took, you know, the reception. Oh, okay. Uh, and this time I went in and I, I told them I didn't want the job. I wanted to do it different. I didn't want to like jail again this time, last time. I wanted to, yeah, come out hating it like I did. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there's no more single cells. There's only a couple left in uh, self-care, and that's for life, lifers. I mean, there would, I think there's one every unit where there used to be three. Mm. Uh, yeah, so single cells are a thing of the past now. It's just too many people in there for stupid charges or driving offences and jaywalking and crap. Really, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find that's been increasingly an issue? Like I think I think in criminology they call it call that net widening or widening the yeah. net, where they they sort of criminalise more types of behaviour. Yeah. Um, like even people, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to lock people up for not paying their fines. Yeah, they still do that. Yeah. Um. Oh, I going? I've just forgotten. I just lost my mind. <laughs> That's all right. I think I was talking about widening the net and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many people in jail for driving offences in Bunbury. It's it's ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. it had to be it had to be ten or fifteen percent in there that'd be in there for driving offences, right? And it's you know, I don't know what else they can do, but you know they could give them community hours or something. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, walking along the street picking up rubbish should be more hurtful for them than being in jail. Yeah, it seems like an expensive solution, doesn't it? It does. It's and the more they have in jail, the more funding they get. So they keep their numbers up in the prisons, right? Then they get more funding, especially coming towards the financial year. They make sure yeah. their jail's full. 
and then they get allocated more money. <laughs> oh, that just seems so silly. And I guess yeah. that's why, like, you'd have less uh, single cells available as well because, hey, yeah. there's another spot for someone in oh, there. Oh, a fairly old jail too, so it needed – well, they've got more, more cells there now. Yeah, but they fill them up straight away, you know, don't because yeah, right. Perth's so chockers. Mm. Yeah, in, yeah, so interesting. What? Why do you think that they they seem to be putting in more people for driving offences? That it just seems weird. To well, me. there's a lot of people out there too. A lot of driving offences. I've got I've got a mate who's going through court now. Mm. He's been pulled up six times without a license, oh, uh, okay. twice without a uh, registered car. And he's driving because he's got a little baby that he needs to get to and it's just stupid reasons. Like he knows he shouldn't be doing it, yep. but he does it anyhow. Yep. Mm. You know, catch 22. He knows he's going to get caught and he knows he's going to get in trouble, but the need outweighs the, the, the threat, I think. He's got other things he needs to do, yeah. like visit his kid. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's uh, dealing with mental issues as well through using his drugs and mm-hmm. I'm trying to help him get off now as well. He's one of my close friends and he's become a client. Yeah. Uh, getting him on a mental health care plan, getting him onto the right right tablets because he's um he might have ADD. We're getting him tested for that shortly and yeah, getting him the right diagnosis and then the right medication will help a lot. Yeah. His judgment's poor. When he's on medication, he's a lot better. Without his medication, he's just got very poor judgment. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so do are you guys able to put people in touch with mental health workers that can help them with stuff like that? Yeah, well, I go with them to the doctors and get a healthcare plan done. Uh, and then it's whatever the doctor wants to refer them to. And then I'll get the referrals done. I'll ring it up, make appointments, make sure their client will get there. Uh, so, yeah, we, we advocate a lot for our clients and we do a lot of ringing around and sourcing other people for them. How how do you find the services down there in Bunbury? Is is there enough or is, is no. it no? It's short. <laughs> uh, short psychologist, sweet answer. Psychologists, I've been ringing around, ringing around to find ones that bulk bill because a lot of these people can't mm. afford the astronomical prices these people want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that do bulk bill are fully booked till twenty twenty three. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the last doctor I, I went and saw with me mate to get him on a mental health care plan. He gave me the list and said, go find your own, whereas he should be referring us to one he's, he knows. Yeah. And then, you, and then you get a discount. But he just gave me the list and said, go find your, your psychologist yourself. Ring me and we'll send a referral through. Right. That's why I'm, that's why I'm changing doctors. I'm going to go see fair a different enough. doctor. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so too hard. Did, do, you find, do you find that people come in in a, in a real time of need? Um, and they really do need help, and then they're getting told stuff like that. You know, there's a waiting list. You know, yeah. I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard two years before, but typically six to eight weeks is is normal, right, for a lot yeah. of services. Oh, easy, yeah, longer. Yeah. And it but seems- even even six to eight weeks, uh, particularly for people who are facing addiction, that can be that's a really long Lifetime. time. Yeah. yeah, and it's it all it takes is one day. Yeah, it can, can yeah. be life and death. That's oh, there are know. other psychologists out there that can get him in within a week or two. Yeah, but he just can't afford that price. Expensive, yeah. yeah. The private system. Yeah, so so there's a real shortage by the sounds of it. Um, yeah. Even down in Bunbury, you know, there is up in Perth. We hear about it all the time. Um, yeah, even in the private system, if you're prepared to pay a psychologist, 
often they've got like waiting lists till the new year and, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so well, I went, and, I went and saw one myself. Um, I've also had rent treatment done, uh, which is rapid eye, rapid eye movement treatment mm-hmm. to try and eliminate all the bad thoughts I had in my head, what I did in the past. And that really helped me out seeing a psychologist and getting the rent treatment done. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, it's, it's good to hear that that, that works. Um, is there, are there any other uh, treatments that you've been through that you think, you know, were quite effective for you? Yeah, well, I was on the STIR program. It was called the STIR program back then. It's called something else now. It's Southwest CADS, St. John of God's uh, Southwest Drug Unit. I was there getting counselling from them and then on urinalysis for nine months, did clean tests for the whole nine months. That's why my sentence was reduced back to six months as well because I did that as well mm. as the rehab and I was volunteering at doors and, yeah, just trying to put in the hard yards to try and not do a long stint in jail, mm-hmm. which I was glad the judge saw all the hard work I did and gave me that lenient charge. Yeah, that sounds mm. pretty sensible on the judge's yeah. part. <laughs> well, when you do the STIR program and if you complete it, you're not supposed to go to jail. Okay. But. I should have never been accepted onto it because it's, it's supposed to be for first-time offenders. Right. Where it was my fourth offence. Yeah. But I so got accepted how, on. How did you get accepted then? Was uh, it just okay. like a. I kind of knew the lady and. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, knew nice. that it, I knew that it helped. Yep. Come, come yeah. court time. Yeah. Well, just out of interest, what did that program involve? What sort of activities did you have to take part in? Oh, just the, the weekly uh, counselling. I'd go in and tell them what I've been up to. They'd ask if I'd used and what I was having troubles with, and then they'd give me pointers on how to deal with that, like what triggers and barriers and things to put in place if I get an itch. And yeah, yeah. what uh, uh, the lady I dealt with was awesome. She's a lovely person. The lady I looking after me. Yeah, and if you're happy to talk about it, are there any specific triggers and barriers that that particularly Mine, helped yeah. you? Yeah, my major trigger is boredom, mm-hmm. um, and being alone. So being a dealer, I was I felt needed, like people were calling me all the time. But it was just a false, it was false. They just wanted the drug. They didn't want to be in the first place. They just wanted the drug. Yeah. So boredom and then dealing with my emotions, like I was brought up, boys weren't allowed to cry. If I cried, my dad gave me a flogging. Um, yeah, so now with rehab and Southwest Cads, I can cry whenever I want. I know it's good to have a cry. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Good, yeah. Um, I know feelings will pass, like grief, anger. I've got to learn to sit with it, and I know it'll pass. That's They're my major triggers. So, yeah, mm. that's why I don't use it anymore because I've learned how to manage them. Mm. Are, there, are there any techniques that you use to kind of get through either crying yeah. or grief? Like, is there, yeah, what, what's I kind of going in. through your brain? Oh, I colour cool. in. I've yeah. got, I'm, a mad, I'm a mad colour. I've got a 1,000 gel pens and all these colouring in books. I sit there. In the morning before I get up, I do an hour. Mm-hmm. And straight after work, I go and do an hour. And it's like meditation. Mm-hmm. Like a book could go off and I'd never even hear it. I'm deep in concentration. Yeah. So I've, got oh, stay awesome. inside, I've got to stay inside the lines. <laughs> could choose the right colours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally get that. I've, and they're yeah. really spinny, the pictures that I do. They're, they're, yeah, they're a bit trippy. They're a bit hard ones too. Mm-hmm. Some take two to three days to do. Some take longer. Yeah, yeah. awesome. I also uses- do rap. I do breathing techniques. There's also one where you're um, what five things you can see, four things you can hear, 
three things you can mm. uh, smell, two things you can taste, one thing you can touch. Well, not, that's not the right order. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a lot of other things, yeah. I tried meditation, but it just wasn't for me. I couldn't get to that that blank out stage. Mm-hmm. My head my head just keeps thinking, but colouring in gets rid of it for me. Mm. Walking, music, going for a drive in my car, listening to my music mm-hmm. another big one for me. I just I love going for a drive. Mm-hmm. I'll go to I'll go to Bustleland and back just to just to get away from people. Yeah. And I guess that would also help with the the boredom side of it as yeah. well. It's like you're doing something, you're colouring in, you're driving. Yeah. You're doing things, yeah. Not too much to yeah. be bored nowadays with all the clients. Mm-hmm. Um, Keeps you busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. And I had all these other activities like doing this today, the radio the other day. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm trying to keep as busy as I can. I go to see my parents a lot too. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go out there once, twice a week because, uh, yeah, they're lovely people. Yeah. Are they still in Katanning, was it? No, they were in Eaton, so they're okay. not far from me, yeah. 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 Um, 54 years or 56 years married now or something. Mm. Oh, they'll probably slap me now for not knowing. <laughs> um, it's all right. I don't know, like, how long yeah. my parents have been married for. Yeah, but I go out there for tea once a fortnight as well, once every three weeks as well. Nice. I've mm-hmm. got, yeah, they're, they're awesome people. Yeah, because you, you sort of mentioned, um, you know, in the past you liked the fact that you were kind of the centre of attention a bit um, yeah. when you had customers and that coming to yeah, you. Yeah, my... My brother and sister used to call me the golden child. <laughs> yeah. I could never never get in trouble. Even now, they still call me that, even after all the jail I've done. <laughs> they call me the golden one. And so I was going to ask, do you, do you have much contact with, you know, a social network, whether it's family or friends? Like you just mentioned your parents there, but do you have others? Yeah, I don't have a lot of social friends because most of the people I knew are still addicts. Right. And I don't associate with anyone that uses drugs anymore. That's another one of my barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm slowly making new friends through doors, people mm-hmm. that have got the right idea and that have only got recovery on their mind. Mm-hmm. I made a few friends through NA. Yep. Um, yeah, but I can't really make friends with clients because there's boundaries and stipulations that, that hold that back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting a group of friends now that don't use drugs and it's it's a nice life. Mm. Oh, very good. We're probably not too far from the end of our chat here, Shane. Um, I was just going to ask you if you, you mentioned a couple of things that you want to achieve in in the the next year or so. Um, but more broadly speaking, what are your future plans? Uh, more education. I want mm-hmm. to try and get more knowledge behind me. I would like to do some more uh, in the way of mental health. Uh, maybe for maybe autistic kids. I've always had a passion about autistic kids. Uh, I definitely want to stay with AOD, but because that's what I, what I know, life experience. But yeah, more learning behind that. Trying to get another car, unit, uh, my health, my fitness. Just building my self worth. Like I, I've never, I've never had a woman in over twenty years, a girlfriend. Because what happened with the last one? Uh, I don't think I'm worthy yet of one. Anyhow, I'm still. Deep in my recovery road, I don't think I've got time for another person yet in my life. I'm actually living with a 20 year old who's a British apprentice. I'm trying to help him along in life at the moment as well because my son, I gave him back to his mum and I haven't seen him in a long time. I still talk to him on the phone, but uh, he lives in Bendigo. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of taken this young fella on as like a young, <laughs> my son kind of. Yeah. And I'm just trying to help him 
have some correct decisions in his life instead of bad ones like I did. But he's 20 and I can't make decisions for him, so his own decisions are sometimes wrong and I've got to let him go through with it so he does realise what's wrong and right. Yeah. So you learn, isn't it? It's a hard one. Yeah. I I can't make decisions for him. He's got to make it himself. And unfortunately, he's made a couple of bad ones, which which he's hopefully going to come out of with with me keep pushing him. Yeah. Every day I just keep pushing him. (laughs) Yeah, it just makes you stronger. Yeah. And do you think you'll try and see your son? Well, hopefully, it was. I was talking to my son the other day. He might be getting a job back here in WA next year. Okay. Mm. So that would be awesome. A lot of reasons why I haven't seen my son was I wasn't allowed to leave the state. I was still on parole. I wasn't working. I had no money. Yeah. And now I said I was going to try and come over. And he goes, well, hang on. I might be coming over there to live. Oh, mm. awesome. So, yeah, and he's made me a granddad, so I haven't seen the grandchild. Okay. She's seven. Yeah. Wow. But like, she won't be coming with him because that's a, that's with another girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I might still have to fly over there to see the granddaughter anyhow. Mm. That'd be pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I scared her a bit too much because I I don't be bushy being all that. <laughs> <laughs> Later on Skype and she didn't want to talk to me and <laughs> uh, and she's yeah. Ah. Oh, it sounds like there's plenty of good stuff in the future. Oh, and definitely. Craig, yeah. you'd be quite scary too with your beard. Yep. Yeah. A lot of kids, little kids don't like them, I think. No. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite six foot six, though, either. Especially, no. when you tell them, especially when you say, get in my belly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's been great chatting, Shannon. It's great nice. that you're so happy to, to openly talk about some of the stuff you've been through. And Well, if you don't, no one's going to know, are they? And it, it needs yeah. to be out there that it's, it's a terrible drug and it ruins lives. Yeah. And it's great to hear that there is there is a way back, you know? Yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I never thought there was. But, yeah, you know, after rehab and learning the few steps and the tools I needed to deal with my triggers and now the loving support of the people at doors and, and giving out that support to other people now, is, is, I just smile every day and, you know, it's, it's awesome. Oh, and people have noticed me. I walked into a doctor's surgery the other day and this lady I knew, Shane, Shane, come here. She goes, what's the matter with you? I said, why? What's going on? She goes, I've never seen you walk around smiling. <laughs> First time I've ever seen you smile. So that's my job. I love it. Oh, oh, that's, yeah, that's so good. It, yeah, mm. it's it's so good to hear that there is a good end. Yeah, uh, and they can like be. A good, uh, yeah, They've got to do it for be. themselves, but they can't do it for other people. Mm. Do it for yourself. Yeah. Because being clean outweighs of doing drugs so much. Mm. I've got a and broad pair of shoes. I can buy what I want now. There's money in the bank. I can link, mm-hmm. give money to my parents that I owe them. And it's so relieving, you know. And I've got, I got the respect back from my life. My dad said he was proud of me finally after 30 something years. I've never heard that come out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. But he said he was proud of me what I've been doing. So that, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that made me cry a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's only yeah. natural, I'd say. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Well, thanks very much for your time, Shane. And no uh, yeah, all the best. And, and perhaps we'll catch up with you. At some yeah. point in the future, and hear hear how you're getting on. So easy. We can yeah. see if you've hit your goals for for 2022. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, I haven't gone too big a goal. I try to make them small and achievable. Yeah. I've started an account already for my unit, so there's there's already 200 bucks in there. I only started last week. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I'm getting there. Excellent. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you. That was our conversation with Shane down in Bunbury. 
I think um, you probably might have noticed in the first maybe like 15 minutes of this conversation, I had no idea what to say. <laughs> I did not ask a single question. And that is because I was just like, I was, I was very overwhelmed and it was just so, I, I felt very honoured to hear those stories um, from Shane. I just, it, yeah, it was, it was an incredible story listening to what he had to say. Yeah, I think the first 10 or so minutes where he just kind of gave us a brief history of, you know, growing up and then going in and out of prison and some of the other challenges he's had. Mm. Like, yeah, there were so many questions you could have butted in and asked, but it was just, it just seemed easy just to let him get, you know, let us know as much as he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and kind of rare for people who've been in his circumstances to be so open and um, forthcoming with what they've experienced, you know? Absolutely. And that's kind of what he was saying, dealing with the the clients that, that he is now where, the reality is most of the time they don't want to share their story because they're either going to be judged or, or something is going to happen, there's going to be consequences. But as he said, once someone kind of opens up and lets them know that that's okay, it all just comes out. And I that's, it, that's so important. It's so important to share like what you're going through and your lived experiences. And, it's yeah, it's just it's mm. amazing that Shane can do that and also help others do that too. Yeah. It's a really obviously the clinical support is important. We obviously need trained mental health and drug and alcohol support workers, but I feel like that lived experience element is just such an important part of giving people the whole the whole story, so yeah. they can hear from someone who's been where they've been. You know, whereas a doctor probably is unlikely to have been in their shoes, yes. and just say, look, you know here's some of the things that helped me when I was dealing with a doctor, for example. And the fact that Shane actually goes in and helps people get on mental health plans oh, and amazing that sort of stuff is, you know, that's just priceless. And yeah. And that stuff's scary to deal with. Like even yeah. like myself, I'm like, Oh, I'd, like I don't want to deal with all those forms and doctors and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing that he goes in with them to help them through that process. Yeah. And something that was really interesting that Shane said was that, you know, up until recently he didn't find prison that hard. Mm, and mm-hmm. I've heard people say that before. Often prison is a really uncomplicated sort of simple life uh, and obviously being, you know, using drugs and, and that sort of stuff on the outside is often a very uncomplicated simple life in, in terms of you don't really have too much to think about other than when, where you're getting your drugs from. Yeah. Um, obviously there are other issues with that. Um, it's not all as simple as that. You know, obviously yep. you're going to get chased by the police. and You're you know, ignoring a lot of other things. Yeah. <laughs> but. That, that for a lot of people is sometimes the easiest path and that's why mm. people often go back to prison more than once um, because, it, it you know, it does seem a bit more simple and uncomplicated. But, yeah, it's interesting to hear Shane say that and also to hear that he, like, at some point he's just gotten fed up with it and just doesn't want to be there anymore, you know? Yeah. And the fact that he actively went in, I think, I'm assuming it was the last time that he went into jail he actively went, no, I'm going to choose the harder pathway to then um, make sure I don't go back. That, Like not many people are going to do that. That, mm. Yeah, that that is a very big learning curve and very, very interesting. Yeah. It's, it suggests to me that that this is going to stick, this, this yeah. attempt at staying out and, yeah. you know, kind of making a life that's going to progress and, mm. you know, some of the stuff that he's talking about doing in the future says to me that he really does have bigger and better things on his mind 
Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I, I I actually do look forward to to revisiting our conversation with you. Oh, me too. In the future, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think it would be very exciting and interesting to see what he's up to and how much mm. good he's spreading in in his world. I think yeah, it incredible stuff. Yeah. Um and that I I think that there is the opportunity for us to hear from more people like Shane, you know, people mm. who've maybe been through some I agree. similar experiences, possibly been homeless and um, you know, had other issues. Um Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a section of society that we don't hear about a lot. That you know, the powers that be would rather that they weren't <laughs> in the public view. You know, absolutely. Because a lot of the time, people have you know, in Shane's situation, have got. He said he had a really good childhood, um, but you know, that's not always the case. And and some people have had you know serious trauma and abuse issues and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's always a story behind why people have ended up where they are. Yep. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, it's important for us to hear those stories. And just as a as a personal thing, in terms of uh, research, I think that's so important as well uh, because we can't focus and choose research questions without knowing what's going to help. And we can't know what's going to help unless we find someone who is willing to share their story mm-hmm. um, because, like, I would never have thought of colouring in. Like, yeah. you need someone who's gone through it to go, hey, this actually works for me, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. I wonder who else would benefit from that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, a, it's a complicated uh, kind of connection between research and those stories that's just, yeah, yeah it's necessary. Look, there's... You know, art is actually something that is quite commonly mm. used to, to help people who, who are in prison. Um, and I think the Fremantle Prison actually hosts an art exhibition every yeah. year displaying artwork that was, you know, done by people in prison. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, if the people listening are interested in hearing more stories like Shane's or if you have any other episodes you'd like us to to look at, um, please get in touch. Courtney, where can people reach us? Uh, you can contact us by email at meaningofhealth at outlook.com or you can tweet us as well um, at health means what. I almost forgot it after like 50-odd episodes. I almost forgot it again. Um, but please, yeah, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to uh, talk about uh, whatever guests we've had on um if you've got any feedback if you've got any guests you want us to have on if you think yourself might be a pretty good guest uh we'll we'll happily have a conversation with you yeah excellent all right well thanks very much courtney no thank you and we will be back in your feed with another episode soon the meaning of health podcast is produced with the support of the education enhancement unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming.